The views and opinions expressed in the following podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the producers, the affiliates, or digital platforms hosting this podcast. All content is for the purposes of education, conjecture, and at times entertainment. We promote inclusiveness and diversity. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Into the Deep with Jay Costa. Welcome to Into the Deep. I'm Jay Costa. I am elated about today's guest, someone who, in my eyes, is a true Renaissance man, someone whom I've had the pleasure to tour with, someone who is an artist in the purest sense. He's an author, a photographer, a musician, a creative through and through. Today's guest is Burton C. Bell. From his work with Fear Factory to his work with Ministry, and some of his other projects like City of Fire, to his even more emotive, expressive, and artistic endeavor, Ascension of the Watchers, a name inspired by the esoteric writings in the Book of Enoch. Ascension of the Watchers is a creative journey that Burton feels is envisioned to draw the minds, hearts, and aspirations of a people to a higher level of thinking and feeling, brought together to reflect in the beauty of life through these melodies and words we talk about a myriad of things, everything from Ascension of the Watcher's newest album, Apocrypha, and some of the paranormal activity that occurred during the recording, which happened to be done on the grounds of an ancient monastery in South Wales. We talk about Burton's inspirations, his love of sci-fi, fine art, as well as his aspirations and some upcoming projects and releases. So, join me as we seek light and journey into the deep with Burton C. Bell. Enjoy. There's a lot going on in the world, obviously. It's, uh, you know, times are changing. And I, I have kids. I don't know about you. I have kids. And they're, my son just turned 14. Wow. And my daughter's 15. And so they're, my youngest daughter is 13. So they're just, you know, they're, um, you know, they're that age, they're starting to see things. And, you know, I don't worry about it, but I'm concerned, uh, you know, about what's happening in the state of affairs of the world in general. It's it's nuts. I mean, it's nuts, you know. And, you know, the things I've written about in, you know, in Fear Factory over the years, I see happening. And the things that I haven't written about, I still have more way more uh, ammunition to, to use for future creative, creative projects. Um, you know, I have, I've been compiling notes and, and uh, jotting, jotting down phrases and just ideas for my next uh, industrialist yeah. novel. The, you know, the, I released the industrialist in 2015, which was uh, uh, my first graphic novel that I authored and uh, I didn't do the artwork, but, you know, I, I definitely was, uh, you know, a producer, uh, a supervisor in doing the artwork in general. My uh, my buddy Noel Guard out of the, uh, the UK did the artwork and did a fantastic job. And, we, you know, we worked together and discussed how to do the artwork, but I digress. Um, you know, so I wrote that uh, that graphic novel for the, uh, to go out with the, industrialist album that came out so i wrote that story but it took me obviously it took me some time to get that out you know because i did it all independently you know released it independently produced it independently published it independently so it was only available through my website and only 500 made sold them out but um since then point finally to get around to my point like i'm like abraham since and i just go on and on <laughs> but um you know so much has happened since i wrote that uh not i wrote that in 2012 came out 2015 and so much obviously has happened since then so much fodder for more creativity and more ideas that um you know i got a stack of papers and just you know just to write about and after the holidays i'm gonna you know actually 
sit down and like finally get it all together because I've written so much shit. Um, you know, I wrote something called the uh, Mechanomicon instead of the Necronomicon. I wrote the Mechanomicon. Wow. Um, I got something like that, which reads like some really um, esoteric prose. And it's all like in like almost binary, no, almost like in binary, but it's not numbers, but it's like, it's just like three or four, four or five, three to five lines per paragraph. And it's just, and it's almost reads like a, a, a Bible kind of yeah. like thing, uh, or, um, or Nostradamus kind of thing about the future and what, how androids are supposed to relate to humanity. So that was something I wrote. It's going to be added to it, but you know, so much has happened, you know, along with climate change and uh, which is, you know, we're seeing happening, you know, in real time and, uh, and it's real. And, uh, and then the climate change and then all, you know, obviously the um, pandemic, which may or may not be a result of climate change. Um, you know, it's, uh, I heard a theory yesterday from a scientist in uh, Australia saying that the, this is uh, the proteins in this coronavirus has never been seen before, that it might be something that was part of an ancient world, I, you know, thousands of years ago, that has come up through climate change, thawing, permafrost thawing, that is uh, coming up and re, re, you know, rearing its ugly head again. You know, maybe some animal ate some carrion somewhere, and then you know that's how it kind of progresses. You know, animal to humans. But who knows? It's a theory. Sounds logical since we've never seen this before. It's a, it's a very, very aggressive protein that no one can really understand. Um, then there's you know the climate of the American society and culture. It's, you know, I've never seen it this bad before in, in my, in my 52 years, <laughs> I've never seen it this bad before. And it's, you know, it's become tribalistic and that's what not America, America is never about tribalism and it's become a tribalistic, uh, you know, uh, culture, you know, us versus them, them versus us, you know, just narrowed down to blue or red. And I'm like, you know, that means nothing. That, that Essentially that represents no one, but people are holding on to it. And the fact that, you know, the two major media corporations are pretty much the source of all of the angst and the, the falsehoods. It's just ridiculous. It's so in a nutshell, I got plenty of material to use. <laughs> I'd say, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I even remember, you know, even just lyrically in the nineties, you know, the words and the, the, the ideologies that were expressed in your lyrics that, you know, to today's standards, I mean, they're timeless in that regard, you know, because yeah. you can kind of, what were some of your earlier inspirations, you know, that got you on that trajectory to kind of see not a dystopian fear you know but um i you know my definitely my love and fascination for sci-fi and uh especially science fiction that really hit close to home i mean of course i like science really fantastic science fiction like star trek or you know um you know fantasy sci-fi you know like uh it um robert heinlein uh, mm -hmm. Philip K. Dick is Philip Dick gets more psychological, um, but uh, Isaac Asimov, mm -hmm. uh, you know Philip K. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke, um, uh, you know sci-fi that really was kind of pertinent to the time that it was written, especially George Orwell. He's really pertinent to the time period that he wrote, and I realized that these authors are writing about what they know but just you know, having a vision of pushing it forward and seeing how far it could go in their mind. And that is the secret. It's just like actually taking that thought, taking that concept and envisioning where it can go. 
And if you're if you're clever enough, and and you you know, and if you observe the world around you, you can see it happening. You see all this happening right now. And uh, you know, like for instance, for demanufacturing, I was writing about what I saw at the time. But if you put it into a futuristic tense, people are like, oh wow, that's fantastic. People don't want to see reality. You know, um, you know, Rage Against when you when you before it says if you're like a band like Rage Against Machine. They were writing, uh, Zach was writing about what he saw and what he's experiencing. And so you become more of a, a protest uh, a statement, more becomes a protest uh, type of band. But if you put it, just take that, ter- just put it into a science fiction or, you know, story like context, people are like, oh, you know, I don't have to really think about this. I can just move forward. <laughs> so people, when it comes to music, people like to, get lost in music and that's something I, I thought about a long time ago uh you know, folk music is you know was more of the uh folk music and long ago was more of like protest songs anthems uh rallying cry songs for the for the worker and uh you know from my lyrics are pretty much the same way you know all my lyrics i felt like we're discussing uh, a, a very harsh reality but I always felt there was a positive, you know, ending, <coughs> excuse me, a positive ending or a positive side to it. And that's what, you know, something I always felt was important. It's like, look, this is happening, but, you know, we can change it. <laughs> you know, there's a, there is, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Right. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, even though I'm not you know, in Fear Factory anymore, I still continue to think, and believe these type of things and and continue to write this sort of things you know not stepping away from who i am or what i've always been just uh just moving forward <laughs> right on so, plus you know i write like to write other stuff you know I like to like philip k day i like to put the um the social psychological kind con- more psychological even spiritual context into science fiction which makes it even more hu- humanistic i think and more interesting because you know human humanity or we're not cis we don't think in black or white <laughs> you know we're just right. uh, you know there's so much depth to humanity and you know mysticism spirituality psychology is all part of it so it's uh you know i there's lots of other things i want to write about as well but feel like i have to get this out of my head first and then so it's after the holidays i'm really gonna sit down and just get it out <laughs> right on <laughs> is that something that you feel like you have to do typically like you have to when you have one idea make sure that that's out of there fleshed out done and then you can move on to something else like yeah that's how i work it's hard for me to work on multiple projects at the same time gotcha uh, it really did really uh distracts from focusing um it distracts from the whole like concept of like working on an art piece um i mean i mean people can do it they can you know there's painters that can work on several paintings at the same time or people to work on several songs at the same time for me i just have to i got the idea i gotta finish it and now let's get it done yeah, you know, and just just getting the basic idea, and um, then you can start editing or whatever. You know how it is. Yeah, I can definitely align with that. What's that? Are you still working on music? Yep, still making music. We we took a we took a brief hiatus for a little bit, um, and then you know, band member changes. You know, typical band stuff in the metal world. You know, uh, somebody doesn't want to tour or can't tour, and then you know it slows down, and then you know. You, you know, you, the the agents and the promoters quickly start forgetting. You know, if if you're not like being yeah. played, you know, on satellite or terrestrial radio, and so, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. So then we we put out a single last year um, during the during the beginning stages of the lockdown, and wow. uh, so yeah, we've got a whole record done, ready to go. Uh, just getting mixed right now. So still gonna put some tunes out there, you know, for people to check out. Absolutely. Any touring plans for you? Or- no, nothing, nothing on the horizon just yet. Um, just no way of knowing. There was some plans to possibly go overseas, and then like that got shot down because everything started changing again in the world. So um, put that on yeah, this, pause. This Omicron variant is really uh, changing things again. Unfortunately, yeah, it's uh, it's hitting Europe and the UK pretty hard too. 
So it's, it's disappointing, um, especially for musicians. You know, it sucks that uh, uh, the music industry is not considered uh, an essential, essential business. Right. Even though it employs millions of people around the globe, it's not essential. You know, yeah. Wall Street, that's essential. Yeah. Fuck off. You know, the reason why we're all fucked up. Mm-hmm. The reason why we're in such a fucked up state to begin with. It's crazy. It's 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 a sad reality, you know, when, when you start thinking about cultures and civilizations, it's the arts that really define that civilization and it is. the people who create that. And that's what typically is left after them. I agree. So it's sad. I mean, as you know, in this, in this country, I I feel like musicians and artists aren't shown that same level of just honor and respect thoroughly. Appreciation. Appreciation. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's true. You know, unfortunately um, the music industry has a bad rap. And of course there's always, you know, our industry is full of, uh, colorful characters, um, <laughs> not the type of people that you want to uh, have your children look up to. But mm-hmm. you know, not everyone's bad. But right. you know, we're all—at least we're all following our passion. Right. At least we're all following our what we feel is right, and you know that's why I think a lot of musicians always look younger because they're following their heart. I love that. I, I, it's, it's true. We're not appreciated as much as we should, and uh, you know. It's proven by how uh, you know the government you know were treated as you know not essential, and also also proven how in the way that corporations can just rip us off, you know, right in front of us blindly yep. um, by just taking you know paying for whatever they want for our for our hard-earned work. You know, fuck that guy on Spotify. You know, worth billions of dollars you know, off the backs of starving musicians that he's stealing from. Fuck him. (laughs) It's crazy because I I feel like so many fans of music don't, they're not as connected to it and they don't see the ramifications of just streaming music instead of, you know, purchasing a song, you know, and and how this has just kind of gone down the line, just less and less for the artists, less and less to even maintain what they're trying to do as a, a passion piece and that for some it, it can't even be a job right and you know for, for me for, for personal experience i felt like i was a working musician and you know I, royalties was not really something that i ever saw um but it was always touring touring is what it was all about you know royalties helped a lot but if you, people aren't buying records then that's really not helping right um, you know, it's just the music business has been depreciated over time. No one's buying albums. Um, A&R doesn't exist anymore because there aren't anybody who believes in music anymore and feels that they can push the next thing. You know, there's no money in music anymore because no one will spend money on anything that they're not going to get immediate return on because right. no one's buying records and no, no one's supporting the music industry. No one's supporting music. You know, the only thing that's being supported is the companies. Yeah. Which is so crazy to think, because like you said, you know, it goes back to corporations, right. And, and different, you know, these different companies that can just basically do and say whatever they want. And it's seemingly they have more rights than artists, than even citizens do. It seems like. They do. You know, it's it's truly a sad state of affairs and definitely makes it a lot more difficult to be a musician these days. You know, it's uh, obviously there's a, Big musicians, obviously, that are sure. have no problem, see no problem with how the music industry is. But you know, yeah. these musicians are selling millions of records, regardless. Right. And because they do so well, you know, they're given you know tons of money to tour and play, and it's like it's okay. Now these days, it seems like these days you only you only um, gauged on how many followers you have on your fucking Facebook account. Instagram. Well, you guys only have two thousand followers, so how can you gauge? You know, I don't see the numbers. I don't really see the numbers on social media translating into album sales or sales. Regardless, doesn't translate. I think there's all 
has to be a whole new system. There has to be a whole new gauge of how to make things happen for musicians. And for me, when I'm going to tour, when we tour, I'm like, you know, I got a guarantee. And I'm not going to do it without this. I need this much. And if you're not going to pay, then I'm not going to play there. That's it. You know, yeah, I think musicians have to put their foot down and just like pay. You know, obviously there's musicians that are starting off and wanting to do anything for free. But you know, working musicians who've been doing it for a considerable amount of time have to put their foot down. It's like, look, I am worth this much. So you have to pay for it. And if you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. If you don't, then you're not going to get it. That's it. I couldn't agree more, you know, and I, I think it's, it's, it's any wonder that, you know, sites like, you know, <clears throat> Patreon or things of that nature, you know, like the GoFundMes or anything artist related where people, you know, can participate in the growth of that band and make their donations and get compensation by a product and or premiums, experiences, et cetera. Right. But, you know, that's, that's still sad, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, we're, it's not begging, but it's, you know, you're peddling more things than you need to. It's, and right. you're doing it on your own. What's, and, uh, you know, there's, I mean, record labels are going to be extinct pretty soon. But, you know, the fact that everyone's, we're all boiled down to Patreon or, mm-hmm. you know, your, your, um, crowdfunding sources. You know, it, that's that just makes it even harder. It's just like, why can't we just possibly can't go out these days and play just like we used to? But mm-hmm. touring and playing shows—that's the way we used to do it. Just you know, get the word out, grassroots, and play and get those shows in. Right. Um, that, that doesn't even work anymore. Oh, it's 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 crazy. Do you think do you think some of the uh, some of your earlier influences, right? I mean, it, it, we had some conversations uh, when we had toured about just like some of the bands that we're into, you know, um, they were sometimes a little bit below the radar not always the most popular bands, but they just, what, what know, do you think it is that keeps those bands going or kept those bands going then? Mystery. Um, the fact that they, you know, they still have a label that would, push them, that would promote them, market them. Even though they, if, even if they weren't a big band, they would still get their record out, they'd market it, they push it, have a video of some sort. Mm-hmm. I hate lyric videos. I think they're the most horrible thing ever. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're like a step down from all the bouncing ball films back in the 30s and 40s. So, oh, please. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my own opinion. No, that's great. Because it's I true. Think, it, it, I remember the very first time I saw a lyric video, I thought the same exact thing. It was like just the... <laughs> oh, the bouncing ball. We can all sing along. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, but, so I guess that's one thing I've you know, always said for a long time, that the one thing that is uh, missing in music these days is mystery. There's no mystery anymore. And what kept those bands going back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and the early 90s is that there was mystery. There was no internet. You'd have to go out and you'd have to find a publication, you know, know, following your favorite music mag. And it's like reading about new music and finding your favorite artists in this magazine, seeing where they're touring. You know, it was like, it it was information you had to really find and, and you, people spread the word on their own and you know, they tell their friends and tell their friends but you know the music the music publications really pushed it and the labels pushed it so there was still a sense of mystery you, know, you didn't know everything about the artist but you had to find out you really had to really search for and you know find it on your own and uh i mean are there any rumors anymore about artists <laughs> Other than you know, um, trying people trying to cancel artists for saying something, you know, so offensive that oh my god, I I can't even think anymore. I'm so offended. <laughs> I'm just going off yeah. my diatribe. But, no, no, <laughs> but it's it's a uh, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I, I've always felt like you know that, especially once that physical medium started slowly 
becoming extinct because I don't think it'll ever become extinct because we saw a resurgence in vinyl and, um, you know, even cassettes are, you know, people want that physical, but then it's like, how much of that is just the novelty of it versus actually, you know, well, cassettes is a novelty thing. Right. Um, I mean, I still have my dual cassette deck and I still, I still have my vinyl. Uh, I still have my record players and I still have a CD player. You know, it's uh, for me sitting getting a new album uh, for me is I like to sit down or put it on and listen to it the whole album all the way through. It's like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a ritual almost. It's just like you get to, get involved in the album listening to it all the way through that's how i listen to a record yeah. all the way through and when you especially had vinyl or even a cassette you just like you had to listen to it you had to pay attention to when it stopped or when it was time to flip over the vinyl and just like okay time to listen to the other side and you paid attention to it now it's just streaming it's just stream music stream music and it's just, it's just yeah. you know you don't really have to pay attention anymore and but when you do pay attention for instance like you listen to you uh, you know, one of these uh, satellite type of radio stations like Sirius or whatever, you know, and you listen to a station for a while, like Boneyard or something. Uh, if you listen to it for a week, you learn that after that week, they start playing the same catalog again. They'll play the same catalog, all those songs for that entire month. So you're hearing the same songs over and over again. Just like you know, paid just like radio stations, you would hear the same songs over and over again. But um, you know, it was free on the radio. <laughs> you could you weren't paying for it, but you had to listen to commercials. But you didn't have to. Right. I I couldn't agree more with it being ritualistic, listening to a whole album. Because for me, it's still how I listen to records. You know, and I I have my CD player, and uh, you know, I still whenever an artist still releases, you know, a compact disc. I still get a compact disc. I still get a CD just to listen to the whole album. Um, yeah. And one of the last albums that I had purchased on CD was actually Apocrypha just because I wanted that full experience. Well, and thank you. Appreciate that. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's great because it's like, you know, I want to pull out the liner notes, you know, I want to look at stuff. I want to, I, for me, I do it in stages. I listen to the record first. I pick up what I pick up. And then my next time around for me, that's when I'll look at the, like the lyrics and then just really absorb it on a, on another level. And what, what is the artist saying, you know, and really let it resonate. Exactly. And you just said the, the key word artist and what you're holding, for instance, you know, you brought up Apocrypha for me, Apocrypha is a piece of art. Yeah. It is, you know, not just the music, but the whole package It's thought out. It was, it was intentional in every respect you know from from cover to back um every liner every every picture every scratch was intentional and that's what's lost on you know these days i believe that's what's lost is like people understand this is a piece of artwork it's not some commodity it's it's, it's a piece of artwork and it should be listened to in its entirety and that's what cds were and that's what vinyl was it was just a you know, it was a piece of art we could actually hold and appreciate. And it was like people put them in their shelves and, you know, they would look at them, just play and play. And it was like, well, check, look at this artwork and just just check it out, you know. And it could look like books. You just exactly. pull them out. But um, that's lost. I, I really believe that's lost today. And it's, God, here I go again, something like Abraham Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> in my day! <laughs> Well, I, th I think there's something to be said, you know, it, it can even, you know, go back to just maybe even ancient knowledges as well, too, when, you know, people started kind of, you know, there was oral tradition, then there was, you know, then there was writing and then there was reading and then there were books and then, then there were Kindles. Like, it's just this whole <laughs> weird, and I still find it weird that we would call this device that has books on it a Kindle. I just found Burn. that odd. Yeah, man. <laughs> Like sort of kindling, yeah. like just burn it. It's yeah. like Fahrenheit four fifty one all over again. Totally read my mind. Luddites would Luddites would be demolishing Kindles left and right, <laughs> just snapping them, and then and then they would burn the books that they were publishing. <laughs> <laughs> Everything must go. 
everything must go. A literal fire sale. <laughs> oh, good one. <laughs> good one. Uh, but yeah, it's like, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's still preserved, you know, the, the, the music and the art. And I think that's, that's what's so beautiful is when you, for someone who can appreciate artwork and appreciate the music as art as well too um you know that's what keeps it going i believe that resonates within the within the human psyche and and their being yeah you know when you when you experience it in that way it really uh it really affects you physically it releases a dopamine that you don't get in any other form by it's almost a spiritual type of awakening or spiritual experience when you actually connect with the album on entirety it's like oh my god i get it and it's like oh my god this these vibrations are totally speaking to me i totally feel it you know it's that's what it's all about that's what music is all about it's about it's about expression it's about communication it's about it's, it's about art and it's uh you know i've considered myself an art artist always and um you know and i will always be an artist and i will always release pieces of art is it either musically or visually but uh you know art is art is uh unappreciated as well you know it's uh and i don't know what to say it's just it's very unappreciated that's why i want to you know i want to uh, surround myself with like-minded people who appreciate as much art as much as I do, not just musically, but, you know, um, visually and to, who wants to achieve the same, uh, has this, wants to achieve the same, uh, aspirations that I do of creating something fantastic and, uh, you know, and, and the pursuit of perfection. Love that. That's awesome. I, I, I even loved when just the experience that you had um, when you were recording Apocrypha, uh, that thing that was recorded. Oh my God. I got goosebumps because I heard about the story. And then when I finally listened to it, I literally played it back like three times. It was just, Oh, it's incredible. I really, it's, it's really incredible. It's and it's spooky because it's like what? The, even thinking about it now, I'm getting chills. Yeah, and uh, it's like it's, it's it's loud and clear in my head. I have no idea what it's saying. It doesn't even sound English. Could be Latin for all I know. It could be Gaelic Welsh. Yeah. See, I just, I just got goosebumps when you said that too. So it was even just the act of taking that experience, right? That was clearly supposed to happen in that time and space however this works and then taking that and using that in your art like that's what i'm talking about yeah and, uh, you know just finding those little nuggets of and gems that are you know happy accidents or just you know just like some obviously whatever whatever it was pushed through to make itself known and uh it's like all right you made the record <laughs> So, Have there been any other experiences at that studio? Um, during the record, there was. There was a couple more during the recording session that was pretty, uh, pretty creepy. Um, for instance, um, I was doing these, you know, drawing on drum heads, right? And, and in Jace's control room, had you know, there was the con- control. There was his desk, and it was in front of the window, right? And then on the other side of the window was where I was doing vocals. I had the little vocal booth set up and it was, that was the middle room. We had, I was set up in the drum room and behind, I was set up in the live room and behind me was a drum room and another through another door. But uh, so I was in the middle room on the other side of the window, but in the control room um, was uh, a debt, was a uh, coffee table, big coffee table and uh, a couch. And that's where I was drawing the drum heads or whatever. And um, so one day we're just, you know, doing some vocals, whatever, and uh, singing, and uh, I'm I'm not singing at this moment. And we're Chase and I are talking to each other, you know, through talkback, trying to work out something. And as Chase is talking, I hear this this, this calamitous sound just in the control room. I was like, he's talking to me. I'm looking at him. And he's talking to me. And he goes, 
I'm like, what the fuck was that? His is like, you got to come in here. So I open the door, the door that you hear in that first part of that, before you hear that thing, I open the door to go in. And when I open the door, there is the drum head at the door. I'm like, what happened? He goes, I goes, we were talking and he's the only one in the room. He goes, we were talking and I see something at periphery from, you know, from his eye. You see the periphery move and we saw this movement and then this thing that hit the door. So something moves the drum head from the table to, to smash against the door, which was like seven feet away. No windows open, ten knobs. That was one thing. And then there was another instance where we walk in. uh, You know, he's the only one with the keys to the control room to keys the whole studio. And we walk in and we go into the control room and he has this shelf of uh, guitar heads like Laney or, you know, um, Vox, whatever. Just a little shelf of control heads in the corner. It's like a corner shelf. And, um, I don't know if you know, you know, Laney guitar amp. They're yeah. 50 pounds, right? This was like four feet off the ground. But we walk in and this, this Laney guitar amp is literally, the guitar head is literally hanging from a cord off the shelf. What? Like laying on the floor. I'm like, what the fuck happened there? No earthquakes. No one comes in. Something just, it was knocked off the shelf. Wow. So, and, and that's not a light amp head. That's that's something that's got some weight to it, like you said. Yeah, it's got weight. So we're like, okay, it's creepy. And I think, uh, you know, the, um, whatever it was, um, the studio was built on, well, manor, but the studio itself was built on an ancient monastery. And there were still some ruins around, and this, the rocks used to build the studio or from the, the monastery that there was rocks still sitting around. So he built it with the monastery rocks. So it was, or stones and um, whatever was still there. They, they while we're recording, we just, you know, just kind of woken something up. Whoa. And, uh, stirred the spirits, so to speak. Man. That was the, uh, yeah, I can't, really can't explain it. But, uh, yeah, I've seen some things. <laughs> Man. Oh. I've seen more ghosts than UFOs. No kidding. <laughs> oh, man. I haven't, I haven't seen any UFOs, unfortunately. Right on. I, I thought I saw some a couple of weeks ago, randomly. Um, and then upon further research, it was apparently SpaceX launching some satellites. All in a line. And that's oh, all starling. I saw. Yes. And I didn't know about it. And it just happened to look up and we were outside doing something and just see this trail of lights. And I was just, my whole body was just excited. I was like, finally I've waited this long. Um, but yeah. Starling. No, I'm <laughs> wanting to see a UFO my entire life. Same. <laughs> so I haven't um, seen them. Not that um, I know of. Right. <laughs> For sure. I mean, now with, you know, everything getting, you know, there's some new stuff getting declassified and there's, um, you know, a lot of speculation as to several, obviously there's what, 17 agencies within the government that are all kind of trying to release the information in their own way. And there's theories that when it f- first gets disseminated, some may be false information to create some sort of false flag. And there's all kinds right. of stuff about it. So again, it's just control of information. At that point, information control. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, it's it's bizarre to me. You know, I, it was weird because there was like talks of you know the sightings that were declassified right at the beginning right. of the, the pandemic, and it was like no one was talking about it, or very few outlets were talking about it. I know, crazy. Yeah, I, don't know. I follow this guy Jeremy Corbel, hmm. uh, and he's. He is one of the more um, visible uh, ufologists, as they say, out there. And, uh, you know, 
he's he uh, he's got some interesting uh, footage and he's got some interesting statements. But uh, he's always got it's mostly the footage that he has that's always pretty interesting. Really, Jeremy Corbell, I think is his name. All right, I'll have to check that out. That's yeah. Really out. Oh man. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about you know you talked about uh, the Mechanomicon. Your uh, Mechanomicon, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Mechanomicon. It's okay. Mechanomicon. Uh, you write that before it gets used. Yeah, you should. All right. I can I can delete this part if you want. <laughs> but just um, how you were saying, like how it's set up in prose and almost like Nostradamus like with you know the quatrains or the lines. Um, yes. It seems like it has like a that esoteric tinge to it a little nod to you know and, and i speaking of nod it's funny because you know ascension of the watchers you know i think of book of enoch and i think of those yes. things um kid will elaborate on on that and just is that where ascension came from the idea the concepts yeah well i, I honestly yeah the ascension of the watchers was inspired by the book of enoch um and i got i was introduced to the by the to the book of enoch by reading another book by uh, Elaine Pagels called The Origin of Satan. And Elaine Pagels is a, uh, she's a, she's a religious, she's a religious historian mm-hmm. or, and she, she's a historian that spe- who specializes in religion, of all religions, mainly Christianity. But um, she, yeah, The Origin of Satan was a really good book. And um, going through it, she's touched, there was a couple of pages about the, the watchers and the book of Enoch. And I was like, when I read about the watchers. It's like, what, what is this? So uh, after I finished reading that book, I uh, checked out somehow found uh, a version of the book of Enoch online and uh, started reading it, the whole thing. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I started reading more about it and it inspired me to um, create a, that's what inspired essentially the watchers. It was, um, it's originally called the watchers, mm-hmm. but um and that's why it was, we were called the Watchers, and uh, we're, we're any, we weren't even like a developed band. And some band out of Chicago sent me a cease and desist letter. We're already called the Watchers. Some reggae band out of Chicago. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so I just added ascension to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I was already doing music and uh, demoing and uh, getting ideas down and writing lyrics and when that idea of the watchers came about it just kind of just brought everything together and uh really solidified what i wanted to do with this music and uh very proud of it it's um you know i still i still reread the book of enoch and to to see if there's anything i missed or see if there's anything i could read differently uh and you know along with more of the dead sea scrolls it's quite interesting but um yeah, the Book of Enoch is an incredible tale. It's uh, you know written before the Bible, and you know obviously after the Torah was written. But you know there it was a, a group of uh, you know just kind of nomadic uh, tribes, Hebrews out in the uh, desert, just writing about things they saw, <laughs> their, right. their visions. Man. It's, it's it was great when I I remember you know first hearing about the the band. Excuse me. Oh no problem. Uh, just hearing about the band for the first time and just that you know the name in and of itself resonating with me and then you know obviously be like whoa all right you know checking it out and that's great. I'm, I'm thank you for sharing. It's so awesome because like there's like these little nuggets that I see you know even like on you know with apocrypha alone the title and then also just seeing like things like that are even cosmic like cygnus right cygnus eon like just thinking about the constellation and then the the, the lyrical approach you took to it just that that it was really fascinating and really deep and thank you i like to uh you know incorporate my my love of of uh the celestial bodies in space and the, the infinite and vast depth of space into my work and created you know more you know spiritual mystical just uh you know keep it on the for me that keeps it along the lines of what the watchers has always been about 
Um, it's very personal, but it's still very part of this universe and uh, how, it's, how the universe speaks through me. So um, and I'm always seeing this Aeon. That was a, that was a fun one to do. I love the music and lyrically it was interesting, but it was based upon <coughs> the, um, it's based upon the constellation Cygnus, which is the swan. <coughs> Excuse me. Water. <laughs> and um, what one thing I read, one of the things I read about the constellation Cygnus is that it's flying to the mouth of the universe. That it's, uh, you know, the way the constellation is um, arranged <coughs> or arranged in the sky, it flies to the empty space between two different spirals in the Milky Way when and ancient tribes, when you could look into the sky and see clearly the, the Milky Way, that there was a blank space in the sky. That's where Cygnus is flying into. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I you know, storytelling. That's what music for me was about. Telling a story, communication. Yeah. And uh, you know, and getting an idea across and you know, making it helping not making, but helping people come up with ideas and thoughts about uh, something so simple that they never thought about before. Absolutely. It's, it's what music and, you know, has done for me for as long as I can recall, you know, listening to songs that moved me and just, especially I was always drawn to lyrics and images, yeah. you know, just the allegory sometimes within those lyrics that just helped me see the world maybe in a different way or kind of made a little bit more sense. Yes. And that's what music was about is to, to make sense of a world that no, no one understood. Absolutely. And, and I, I know you said this, you know, the record is very personal, you know, but it's written in such a way that, you know, I think it's still very universal for a listener to take something from as well, too. Is that something you try to do purposefully or? Um, purposely, yeah, I, I guess so. But, uh, you know, when you write personally, I'm writing about things that everyone experiences and everyone can relate to. And, uh, you know, but I guess I do intentionally put it into a way where, you know, someone, if someone was singing a song, they could sing it about themselves. Mm. And to me, that's, that's a, a good, uh, that's a good um, mark of a good song. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it becomes timeless in that regard. Yeah. You know, like you, I'm, I'm about the lyrics, you know, obviously about the delivery as well and the music, but the lyrics, you know, if, if the lyrics are, pointless and meaningless it's just it, it loses you know it loses the scope and it loses a little bit of the uh you know special special quality that it could have had yeah do you have maybe specific musicians that maybe you were inspired by that were you kind of adopted these ideas or concepts like okay wow it's really cool how they do this and like i oh, want to yeah. do my thing Oh yeah, well Nick Cave, Nick Cave, obviously awesome. from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. He's a storyteller, true storyteller. Um, even Bono's early writing from you, Bono from U two, his early writing was just very deeply personal and almost on the spiritual side, and uh, I really related to that in a lot of ways. And it was for me, he really was singing passionately about what he believed in, because I I still believe that it. If uh, you don't believe in what you write, no one else is going to believe it either. So it's you have to say, believe in what you're writing about, and sing it passionately, or everyone knows you. Everyone knows you're going to fake it. Um, who else? Um, oh, what's his name? Sullivan, the singer of New Model Army. Oh, okay. His last name's Sullivan. Um, yeah, why am I drawing a blank now too? I'll think about it in a second. Right on. But um, he's he's a great lyricist, amazing, and he was a kind of you know he definitely wrote about the t present times of what he was experiencing in Northern England and and uh, you know protests. But he was very lyrical and very poetic about it, and uh, I really appreciated that. Um, and then there was a you know Andrew Eldridge from Fields of uh, Sisters of Mercy. 
Yes. And Wayne Hussey from the mission. Uh, you know, even, uh, God, I'm trying to think of other bands. So, there's so many. And, and not just, you know, contemporary artists, but even like, uh, you know, artists from the 70s and 60s. Richie Havens from the 60s. Oh, yeah. With a lot of beautiful music. Um, Bob Dylan, still. Yeah. You know, I'm still amazed by Bob Dylan music. It's like, God damn, he just, his lyrics are incredible. And it was just, what a, what a songwriter. Um, you know, I thought that Chris Cornell was an interesting lyricist, you know, very uh, abstract at times, but it was still, he was writing some cool stuff. And then, you know, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, great lyricists, and George Harrison, great lyricists. Yeah. Speaking of them, have you seen that documentary on, I don't know if you have Disney Plus or not. I don't, and I haven't watched it yet. Everyone's telling me I got to see it. You got to see it. I've been watching it, and um, it's seriously long. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> almost three hours per uh, part, so there's three parts. But, man, what what an insight into an incredible band. And you watch it, and as a musician, you're as a musician as yourself, you know, I'm in a room watching it with people who are not musicians and they're getting irritated by what's happening in this writing session. I'm like, dude, I experienced the same shit. Like, <laughs> and the Beatles are doing the exact same shit we do. I'm like, they're just as dysfunctional as every other band out there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Like, man. It's incredible. I would, if you have ever had the chance to see it, just take the time and watch it. You won't be disappointed. It's fantastic. Absolutely, I, I want to. I'm a huge Beatles fan, so I would. I'm sure I would enjoy it. You no, know, it's like wow. It's like what they were dealing with and what was happening, and it's like wow, it's just incredible. So yeah, so back, you know, Lennon, McCartney, even George Harrison, great lyricists, great songwriters. Yeah, I know. And George Harrison, I I felt like for the longest time, you know, amongst my friends, I always felt like George Harrison was just such an unsung musician. He was the the dark horse. Dude, for real, 100%. He was definitely the dark horse of the band, and he had so much to offer. And and, uh, he saved a lot of his good stuff for his solos. His solo work, which is even more incredible. He wrote a lot of good stuff for the Beatles, don't get me wrong. But sure, yeah. Yeah, but uh, he wrote even better songs when he left the Beatles. Almost almost puts it in perspective, too. You know, it keeps me, as as someone who is a creative, as someone who considers themselves also an artist, because I, I love to create things and I love to express myself through the different mediums. It just, for me, I think it's great because you take... George Harrison, as an example, like you said, some of his better stuff comes later on. It's like there's no time limit on it. If you're creative and you're exercising that creative part of your being, good stuff's going to eventually come out. Absolutely. If you have a goal and you have a dream or a passion, just follow it and, and don't put a time limit on yourself. I mean, you should, you know, eventually do it. But you know, for me, I don't intend to retire. <laughs> right on. No, I, what I do doesn't have retirement age or limit. And I just, and I still feel I got a lot of great work come to come. Really. I really do. And not just music or writing, but you know, there's other things I want to do too. I get my photography out. Yeah. Um, I even want to start painting again. That's what I want to start doing. I got this urge to paint so badly. Really? Yeah. It's, it's just odd. Huh. I can't explain it. It's just like, God, it's got this urge to paint. Wow. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I'm getting old. <laughs> That's what no. old people do. No. <laughs> One of those, like, like wine and paint nights. More wine than paint. <laughs> just don't put the brush in the wine glass. <laughs> oh yeah don't go van go on us <laughs> i'm going with karen and debbie down to the wine and paint it's gonna be fun come down it'll be good okay <laughs> thanks deb <laughs> <laughs> no but it's, it, you say like you're having this like, the, like something speaking to you about you know wanting to paint like 
Yeah, yeah, it's like this this great urge within me, this great desire to paint, and uh, you know, I know what I want to paint. I just, I just, I just want to get it out. It's like, oh, I want to paint this. So, um, want to paint what I see in photographs, like my photographs. For instance, if, I don't know if you ever seen uh, the uh, Numenosum album cover, but that was yes. my that was, that was a photograph I took. So a lot of the photographs have that vibe. And I was like, God, I want to create that as a painting. And a lot of my photographs have that painting quality to it. So I was like, this will this would uh, translate really well. So I wanted, um, you know, I, I love Van, I love Van Gogh, I love Monet. You know, I love the abstracts. I love uh, like uh, uh, Gerhard Richter. Yes, know, I love Gerhard Richter. I love uh, Lucian Freud. Mm-hmm. Great, you know the grands grandson. Or, I don't know. Related to Sigmund Freud in one way or another. And Lucian Freud is a fantastic painter. Um, you know, but those are my top so far. I got a lot, but you know, De Kooning was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something about it i just love art i've always been going to museums my whole life and art museums mostly right i just i got my favorites and i was like god it's it's this urge so something else i'm gonna have to do (laughs) i love it i I think that's the that's the beauty of it is like when you're creating and you're making something right it's it's for me i always feel like it's an amalgamation of all of my inspirations and influences kind of make who I am, but then it becomes my expression as I put that out there with my will, of course, but um, when do you think you finally realized or came to that point in your life that you're like, you know, how that, I don't know, that recipe for how you create that works for you. I don't know if I've found it yet. You know, I just, I, just the desire to do it really. And, uh, you know, the knowledge of how to do it and, uh, you know, being, having, uh, educate, being educated in, in the ways of how to perform that just makes me want to express myself writing, uh, you know, photography, painting, just, just making it happen. And, uh, you just, that's your, your, your desire has to be strong enough to get you to do it. And I think that's my desire is that strong. So that's, I make it happen. I love that. You're going to have to go buy some paints and some canvas. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do that. I, I am. And I just, just don't have the space for a painter, paints place right now. You know, don't really have the space, but yeah. all I need is just a blank wall. <laughs> right on. Yeah. I love that. And, and just, it's a fascinating to say, like, you know, from your photography and how you see how you'd want to do a painting. I mean, it's still that same eye. It's coming from there. So it makes sense to me. You know, this is how I see the world. And, uh, you know, my photographs show what I'm looking at and how, and what beauty I see in this world. Because, you know, no matter how crazy this world is, you know, there's still so much beauty in this world. And, you know, there's there's so many good people in this world as well. It's not not to get wrong, you know, there's a, a lot of bad apples out there, but nowhere near as many as good people there is. And, uh, you know, it's just the good people are just being silent. <laughs> so, but, you know, beauty is everywhere. And the smallest things, the simplest things, you know, for me, I find inspiration walking out early uh, of a, you know, freshly fallen snow in the morning cold and it's you know there's this the silence of snow all around you and then it's just quiet and it's just, to me that's inspiration that is beauty and it's, it's like something you rarely get to see and it's like if you have a chance do it <laughs> go out there and check it out because you'll never really experience anything like that i knew we were talking earlier before we finally were able to get on zoom and uh we're on the phone and we're just talking about you know, snowfall and like just how you know, I appreciate watching my seasons change. So it sounds like you're same. Yeah. Uh, fall. I love fall. You know, I love the blustery wind. I love the, the colors. Um, you know, spring is fine. I hate summer. 
well, I hate the heat of summer. I'm not, a, not a fan of heat. I'm, I grew up in Texas. I'm like, had enough of that my whole growing up. I'm like, go like, I'm like laying like a slug in the middle of a humid day. It's like, can't breathe. <laughs> can't do anything it's like, it's like trying to breathe through a hot wet sponge <laughs> <laughs> awful oh it's oppressive it really is that's why i enjoy my seasons man especially fall but you know I, you know i love winter i think winter's fantastic i don't give a fuck what people say right on you know to me it tests your metal as a human being <laughs> Well put. I couldn't agree more. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, you do this again, Jay. Dude, yeah, this has been great. I truly appreciate it. I would love to do it again if you'd want to. Yeah, this is great. Like conversations with Jay. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> Let's plan this again. I would, I would love to do it. All right. Let's definitely make a plan to do that. You are, in in my opinion, one of uh, my favorite individuals uh, that I've ever toured with and conversed. Well, you're with. a very memorable person. Uh, I remember touring with "Die Will Be Done" back in the what was that 2009? 10, 10, 10, 9 or ten, maybe. Two thousand nine, maybe. I think two thousand nine. You're right, but uh, yeah, you were one of the coolest people on that tour, <laughs> and uh, just a sincere human being. And you know, I felt that we had, you know. Had a con- we we were connected on a on a very uh, mental t- type of level, so you know, I consider you a you know an equal. Right on, thank you. I appreciate that. Likewise. Well, thank you. Well, so, yeah. Let's do this again, Jay. Heck yeah, I would love that. Um, I still got a lot more to talk about. I could, like I said, I'm like Abraham Simpson. I could go on and on. I love it. This is great. This is awesome. And uh, you know, the topics are right up my alley. So this is just wonderful. <laughs> I got a lot more to talk about. I'm sure you do too. Oh, well, let's make sure that there's a comma. There's a little comma there, not not a period. No, it's a comma. It's a comma. <laughs> Semicolon. Se- we'll put a semicolon. We'll put a semicolon there. <laughs> I'm going to have to watch the dead zone now. <laughs> I, di- I didn't even know he did a film. Christopher Walken did a film called communion that I didn't even know about. Oh, well, it's the Whitley Strieber book. Oh, okay. See, all right. It's based on the Whitley Strieber book about, you know, the alien experience that Whitley Strieber had. And so uh, Christopher Walken was playing Whitley Strieber in the book. So. See, I didn't connect the dots on that. Well, I, I didn't know about it. And I, someone had, you know, had recommended it to me. So I finally watched it and I, I, was, I finally watched it. And they said, there are so many walkinisms that please, you need to watch it and just quote it. And I said, okay, fine. And my mind was just blown with some of the one-liners in there. Oh, communion. The book is fantastic. You should read the book. It's really pretty freaking cool. The movie was good too, yeah. but uh, you know, he did a great movie. All right. Well, I gotta, I've got to read the book now too. It's an easy read. Yeah. See, now I've got to work the angle. I will do an audio book of communion as Christopher Walken. I think you're onto something. Yeah. Figure it out. I think for, you could. I think you should. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for, for a while there, I was trying to like, you know, when I was learning some Japanese, when we were over in Japan, I was trying to like learn some Japanese so that maybe I could overdub some Christopher Walken films, you know? And so be like, Tano Shindai Masuka, you know? <laughs> Domo arigato mas, you know, just things like that. So this way it would like, but I only moshi, learned a moshi. few things. Moshi moshi. Simasan. See. So yeah, I gotta keep I gotta keep working. So maybe there's like a niche here some somewhere for me. I don't know. I think you're gonna find it, Jay. You're gonna do well. <laughs> awesome. Well, I don't want to tie up your day. I uh I truly appreciate this immensely. Thank you for calling me and thank you for making this happen. And uh, honestly, I do want to do this again. A great conversation with us. Awesome. Ah, likewise. And there you have it. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Burton. And we talked about so many great things. We talked about how sometimes an album is written by an artist 
to be listened to in its entirety, and how for some listeners, they can listen in a very ritualistic way. We talked about some of our favorite musicians, and authors. Oh gosh, we talked about Nick Cave. We talked about early Bono lyrics. Talked about some of my favorite bands like Sisters of Mercy, New Model Army, and some of Burton's favorite authors. We talked a little bit about Elaine Pagels and that book she wrote, The Origin of Satan, and how it was an early influence and inspiration. We also talked about the Dead Sea Scrolls, along with the Book of Enoch, and some of Burton's favorite sci-fi authors, like Robert Heinlein to Philip K. Dick. I also enjoyed listening to Burton talk about his first independently released graphic novel, The Industrialist, as well as some new ideas that he has for a future endeavor or possible graphic novel that he is entitled The Mechanomicon. I am really looking forward to that, especially with the way he said he's going to be putting it together. And for those of you who may have missed the Facebook Live event that Ascension of the Watchers conducted, they let everyone know that their tour has been postponed. So now you can catch Ascension of the Watchers on tour in the UK this September with some European dates to follow soon. It's amazing how timeless Burton's lyrics have been, even from the 90s to now. What seemingly is dystopian lyrics still have light at the end of the tunnel. And in my opinion, that's what a real artist does. They express themselves impacted by the world around them. And a real artist like Burton still shining that light at the end of the tunnel. You can find Burton Seabell on Instagram at Burton Seabell underscore official. And be sure to check out ascensionofthewatchers.com for more details. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Be sure to rate us if you can and be so kind. And if you're watching it, be sure to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel, as well as hit that notification bell so you can find out about new episodes. And you can follow us on Instagram at itd.jcosta, as well as on Twitter at itd underscore jcosta. Thank you all so much for joining me on this journey. Until next time, take care of one another and keep thinking for yourself. Thank you.